Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, Tran Hermostis, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. All right, everyone, welcome back. I'm really excited to have today's guest on because she just has a really incredible story, one that I think is going to lend itself in a few different ways for those listening today and something exciting coming out for her as well. So please welcome Amin Jaswell. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for just sharing the space with me. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. Yeah, you are, I was just saying it was cosmic that this even happened because Mm -hmm. you had written me an email and I had seen it and it was there. And then I don't know, somebody canceled on a podcast, which was totally fine. We had a scheduling conflict and I just saw you come up on my social again. And I was like, no, I like, this is the double sign. Not only did you email right at the time that we had this cancellation, but then I saw you pop up on social again. And I was like, no, this is, she needs to come on. And whenever I have those types of feelings, I know it's because even if it's a sole listener is going to listen to this and it's going to potentially impact their life or lend itself in something even years from now, because I think your story has layers to it that are really amazing, but maybe I'll let you introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and where you are in your journey of a life. My name is Amin Jaswal. I'm I'm a writer. I write poetry. I'm also in the process of my cancer journey. I was diagnosed with cancer two years ago, gynecological cancer, specifically cervical. I've been very open on Instagram about my journey along my cancer journey. I guess that's really, I wouldn't say that's me in a nutshell, but that's where you are right now. That's right now. That's where I'm at this point. I'm an author, soon to be author, artist, and I'm an advocate for the cancer community. I do some master work for the BC cancer community here. I'm located in Vancouver for patient advocacy as a woman that is currently surviving a rare form of gynecological cancer, I find it really important to shed light and also just bring awareness to women's cancers and just the whole advocacy that's required just for women to really stand up for their health. Especially for me, I feel like if I hadn't done that in my journey, I, I probably wouldn't be here right now. It's a really, it's a very personal thing for me. So that's that's a part of my part of the work that I I'm doing right now and also just really focusing on my passion, which is 
writing poetry and starting to put all my work and my passion out into the world has been my goal especially at this time in my life. Now, you talk about the advocacy and especially self-advocacy when it comes to this because mm-hmm. you were 29 when you were diagnosed. And when I read your story a little bit, and, and we'll get into this, it did remind me of the fact that even endometriosis, I think the average is like between seven and 10 years before diagnosis. And often it's women just screaming for an answer. Where is this pain? What is happening? And that's not, I guess, maybe you can explain how did you find out or how did you have to advocate for yourself even to get it looked at, to get to the point of diagnosis, because this wasn't a form Mm -hmm. of cancer that was discovered on a pap test. And I think for Mm -hmm. most of us, we just assume I've gotten my pap once every three years. If we continue down that pathway of just assuming everything's okay until it's not, it, it, it does remove that opportunity for us to really interject and say something isn't right. And it, it really yeah. doesn't feel right. So when did it start to not feel right? I had been actually having symptoms. I think even just mild symptoms for a couple years. Like the thing is with wow. cervical cancer, it can come on slowly over a couple of years. There's not really any scientific proof to say when the cancer started. Like mm. I've asked my doctors, I was like, how, when, what was the starting point? And they're like, we can't really tell you that because you you don't really know. But mm. when your symptoms start, like even, I think it, it comes down to really having an open conversation when you're starting to feel like even spotting between your periods, when your your discharges and off. There's all these mm-hmm. taboo words that I think mm-hmm. we as women don't really talk about, even with our girlfriends. Yeah. This isn't a discussion you end up having with your girlfriends because it's like, oh, it's almost, there's some sort of shame that's associated with it. Yes. Women don't really talk about it. But I feel like there's it's such an important subject because even with cervical cancer, it can be brushed under the rug because it's misdiagnosed for endometriosis. And mm. a lot of the time, even with endometriosis, I, I don't, I'm not too versed in endometriosis or the symptoms and whatnot, but they wanted to rule out cervical cancer because they thought, oh, maybe it was endometriosis for me. But it was very unlikely when when it came down to it. But by the time I I found in the last year, I think it was 20 at the end of 2018 is when it started getting really bad. I was getting a lot of bleeding between periods, a lot. And then I was having a lot of pain and I pushed. I was going to my doctor weekly and I was going basically saying, well, there's something's wrong and there's discharge issues and whatnot. And mm-hmm. they kept just putting me off saying, oh, maybe it's BV, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And I had to push for ultrasound, had to push for then a vaginal ultrasound because a vaginal ultrasound is what actually showed what was going on. Because the external ultrasound, the belt, the one that's, I guess, on the over the belly, the pelvic, yeah. or sorry, the pelvic is the internal, but the one that's over the belly, it depends. Like they can, the results of it can say maybe do further examination or not. So, interestingly enough, I'd already had a pap, like probably, I think it was, I was still within that realm of three years. Yeah. I wasn't up for a pap. And I didn't know that either, that with the type of cancer that I had or have technically, it's called a glandular adenocarcinoma. So it's, it grows within the glands. So it's not one that you typically, it doesn't show up in a pap. So the thing is, and with the type of cancer, when it comes up, it comes up quite quickly. When, you know, when it starts to progress, it comes up quickly. And a lot of women are, you don't catch it fast enough. And with me, they, we caught it probably three to six months before it would have been terminal, they said. So I'm lucky that we caught it at that point back in 20, you know, 2019. And, but the thing was, I actually ended up having to go to the, um, emergency room 
when I, and like force asking them for, to, to check me up because I was in so much pain. Wow. And it was a resident that actually did my pelvic <gasps> and just, she looked and she was like, this doesn't look right. And, um, she pulled up the ultrasound that I had just gotten done and was like, okay, we need to rush her for a biopsy. So the next, Whoa. literally within 12 hours, I had a biopsy and then literally got the ball rolling. So it was when it got to a certain extent, certain point, that's when, you know, it was pushed. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it came down to, I was going to my doctor weekly, basically saying something is wrong because I was, my iron was dropping. I was losing weight. I was having trouble eating. I was in so much pain. I'm like, I wasn't myself. And I, you know, when your gut, when you're not, your when something's yeah. wrong. Yeah. But then it was also the, I feel like when I got diagnosed, I was just usually, if, if you found out you have cancer, you'd be like scared and all this. And I was like actually relieved. Because yeah. I was like somebody Probably validated. Yeah, it was so validating. that I was like, I think as a woman, a lot of the time, because I before, whenever I was going to my doctor every week, I was just being told, oh, it's fine. We're going to figure it out. It was, I felt like my feelings were just being pushed aside. And finally, somebody was validating me. And I think as a woman, I don't want to be dramatic. I don't want to be uh, making a big deal about this. Or, or maybe I'm ma- making this up bigger in my head or, or whatnot. So I think it was, it was finally, I felt relieved that somebody was giving me an answer. And then that, that we can at least find a solution to the other end of this, because there was so much physical pain associated with this tumor. Because if you think about it, it's, it's a tumor that's growing for me, it was growing within the middle of my cervix and into my uterus. So it's basically like dilating. Oh my god! So as it grows, so it's, it feels, I've never had, I've never given birth. I've never been pregnant. So I don't know how that feels, but that's cervical like pain how, sucks like contraction. It's a, and it's ironic because it's like the place that brings out brings life is mm. was a place that was killing me. So it was a very ironic experience when you get diagnosed with something like that. It's a, the strongest female muscle, but it's also yeah, I was being destroyed. <laughs> Skin is our largest organ, so it's kind of silly to not take care of it. Today's sponsor, Osea, has been new into my daily regimen, and they have this incredible algae body oil. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Right now, as my skin is transitioning seasons, it always ends up being a little bit extra dry feeling. So I've been excited to incorporate the Andaria algae body oil into my routine. I'm going to tell you how it feels because it's luxurious and rich and it's not greasy or sticky. It also has incredible ingredients, sustainable packaging, and it's got a gorgeous design. Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil instantly moisturizes and replenishes dry skin, leaving every inch silky smooth. Skin is super soft and glowing with Andaria's Algae, ICA Pulp, and Babusu Seed Oil. Osea soaks hand-harvested Andaria algae in barrels of oil for up to six months. The result is liquid gold, a rich, luxurious, never-greasy body oil fragrant with sunny citrus and top notes of a sweet passion fruit. It actually smells incredible. And Osea creates skin and body care products powered by the sea. They've made clean, safe skincare products since 1996, vegan and cruelty-free. They're responsibly sourced, plant-derived ingredients, good for your skin and good for the planet. Female-founded and family-operated by a mother and daughter team as well, which I absolutely love. Right now, you can try Osea risk-free for 30 days and get free shipping on orders over $50. They even send free samples with every order. 
and get 10% off your first order with my promo code papaya at oseamalibu.com. That's 10% off with code papaya at oseamalibu. That's O-S-E-A-M-A-L-I-B-U.com. Enjoy the show. And cervical pain, like I think anybody who's had a pap before knows it. Even that little scrape feel how it feels. If you've ever had sex Mm -hmm. that hits your cervix, you know what that feels like. I had an IUD put in once that killed Mm -hmm. like cervical stuff isn't a joke. Like it's not just childbirth. We've all had some realm of cervical. But what I found so fascinating, just pulling back from what you said a little bit earlier, is just the conversations that we don't have. And I realized Mm -hmm. even just in my last pregnancy, I was following a page that showed a picture of a cervix. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a cervix. I've had three children Mm -hmm. and I've had like fingers measure my cervix. And I'd never had any idea what it looked like. And I shared it in my stories and people were just blown away. They had no idea what a cervix looked like. And the same way it brought me back. It was so interesting because it's this little tiny dot in the middle like this. Yeah, it was so, Mm. it was so interesting to me. But then when I think back about like discharge and those things, those conversations that we don't have, I remember being an adolescent when like discharge begins and you just immediately mm-hmm. believed that you were the only one and that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that conversation got left out in all of the classes that we take and all of the health classes, all the conversations that we have within even those that we trust. It never really came up. And mm-hmm. I remember a friend of mine said that the first time that she ever understood that discharge was a normal thing was when Amy Schumer did a comedic bit where she said everyone's underwear looks like it's been sneezed into. And she was like, whoa, like that's the first time that anybody's yeah. ever said it out loud. And I realized more and more like then when just maybe because I've just come out of the pregnancy experience paying attention to your discharge is actually a part of your health experience. It's part of what you're supposed Mm to do. And to continue that on as women in everyday life or anybody with a vagina that is like having discharge should be able to have those conversations with their friends, figure out what's normal and what's not. Because like you said, that was actually one of your signs was in your discharge. It was Mm -hmm. showing you. And yet that's not a conversation that we often have. It's not something Mm -hmm. that we often would be like, oh, my call the doctor. My discharge is weird. And I find it fascinating. It's abnormal. This isn't right. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that you were dismissed so much just blows me away. I've noticed, especially with cervical cancer, it's, it's actually in a lot of gynecological cancers in general. They come up in, in for women in their cervical, especially in, 20, in their 20s and, and 30s. And I find a lot of women in their younger, in their 20s, I think are even more, I wouldn't say embarrassed, but it's just there's that conversation just isn't as open. And I think mm-hmm. I'm hoping that conversation is something that can be more open. And I would like, I'd like to have that be a conversation that where that's more normalized within, I guess, the female groups yeah. in, among females. Because it's just, it's something that's so important. And I think if you're willing to talk about it, it's that's when you'll be able to really start noticing if something's off and that's how much quicker you'll get to the doctor. And, mm-hmm. but it's also about standing up for yourself too, when you go mm-hmm. to the doctor and pushing for further testing. I think a lot of women don't realize that it's your right to ask for 
ask for a test. You're saying ask for ultrasound. And if somebody's not giving it to you, you can say, you can tell them, hey, you refuse to give this to me. Maybe write that down in the records and I want a, a, a second opinion or I want a referral. And, and usually when that happens, that's you can get that test. And I think it's just really standing up for yourself when your gut is telling you something's not. So I'm hoping that women will advocate more for themselves because that's, I think, the biggest key to early detection at this point. And that goes, I think, for... I would say for cancer, but also I think for really any reproductive diagnosis is. Yeah, I I 100% agree because even I have a friend who is an endo advocate and she often discusses about the fact that like we've normalized period pain and she's, Mm -hmm. we have to stop normalizing. Yes, periods can be uncomfortable, but if it's hurting, that's probably something up. That's the time to start asking questions. And the Mm -hmm. same way, like I had really heavy periods for a very long time. Didn't really think anything of it. Didn't really think to ask a question. And it wasn't until I went for just a normal checkup and Mm -hmm. my doctor ran blood tests and stuff. And I found out that I was extremely anemic, like quite badly anemic. And she had asked, have you been bleeding a lot? And I was like, yeah, like ever since I was mm-hmm. a teenager, I bleed a lot. And she's, yeah, this has been a long time not being seen and not being diagnosed because I was bleeding so much. Mm-hmm. It just became my normal. I just decided it was my normal yeah. instead of actually questioning it. And I think you're, I think what you said is really important, like knowing what your rights are. I don't know where everybody is and where they're listening to, but in Canada, yeah, like we have a lot of rights where when it comes to asking for tests and whatnot, I think in the States, it's a little bit different. I don't know how it runs there, there. but I know here. Yeah. That's like, we have free healthcare, but there's also like the struggle of free healthcare, Mm -hmm, which is you do have to push a little bit more for stuff because it's not just handed out or just, you could just buy it. You have to actually push for it a little bit Mm -hmm. more, but let's guide through the next step because you have been diagnosed. Now you've had the last two years essentially fighting for your life. And Mm -hmm. I know that's brought about body change. It's brought Mm -hmm. about probably a lot of mental changes as well for you. How has the experience been in fighting for your life? Honestly, it's when I first got diagnosed, it's almost like it changed the lens of my life. Mm. When I initially got diagnosed, that's when I started a lot of the writing that I did for my book was like when I got diagnosed and then throughout the whole process of my my journey with the treatment the first time around, I found I started just seeing life a little more differently. I was appreciating things more, but also there was a lot of trauma that was associated with it because I felt like I lost myself in a sense through it because when you're diagnosed with cancer, it's just, it puts your entire life on hold. And really makes you think about what matters in life, but also it really just changed my perspective on just what, what I wanted in life. But it was also Mm -hmm. liberating because it, there was a lot of, there's a lot of fear that's associated with it, but I really had to push that aside. And really when I was looking into the uncertainty of my life, it it just, in a sense, it woke me up. Mm. What did you find? Maybe let me just ask you this. What did you find was like that initial, this is what matters most? What were those initial feelings of what felt the most meaningful in life, especially being 29 when at the time you're 29 and you have this diagnosis that did give your life a level of uncertainty in those initial reactions? Like what was it that kind of made you be like this? This is what matters. Honestly, it was the stuff 
the little stuff doesn't matter. It was just letting go of, I think I had a really hard time with just having meaningless conversations with people. Mm. The little things that the Mm. first world problems, you really just let all that stuff go. And I felt like I think I was more relaxed Mm. because I just didn't care about things like things that didn't matter. Boy problems, your girlfriends are having these little things. And I think just letting go of those kinds of things and really focusing on the the things that matter, like your family and Mm -hmm. just, and even just the, like the goals that I wanted in life. I know I had to put a lot of that on hold, but then it also motivated me to just focus on things that I was, that made me happy, that Mm -hmm. made me feel passionate because I think really made me look at time very differently. And I really decided at that point and then again, now, as I'm in, in the process of a reoccurrence, not to allow my life to be, not to be controlled by my life or to be controlled by time. I think the big thing it was just being motivated by my life instead of being panicked by it. Because if when you're panicked, you're just worried, oh my God, I'm going to run out of time. I'm not going to be able to do the things that I want to do with my life. And that's just not a way to live. I think every day we need to live like today is the day. And that's really how I'm deciding to live my life because I know at this point, cancer is going to always be a part of my life Mm -hmm. going forward from now till how long I'm here. So I really just want to focus on being motivated by it, being motivated, not by the cancer, but being motivated by my life, being motivated by the things that I want to do with my life every day. And I think that for me, that's really liberating. I think the big thing that I, at the beginning of this journey that I realized, and it was probably the biggest lesson was that everything that I need to get through life, everything that I need to survive is within who I am. Mm. It's, I don't need to look outside of myself. I don't need to look outside of, to other people at the end of the day. Like when you're trying to survive something like an illness or any obstacle, I think in life, any obstacle, you have to look within yourself to get yourself through it. Cause like nobody can, nobody can take your suffering away from you. Nobody can take your pain away from you. That's at the end of the day, you have to work through that yourself. And it was really about trying to, gr- I had to ground myself at the beginning. It was hard because I, there's, there's trauma there. I, I went through a roller coaster of, of feelings and there was a lot of dark moments where I hadn't dealt with depression or anxiety really before this. But when I got diagnosed, there was a lot of that came up through the trauma mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. through the basically your the fight or flight mode that I was living in. So yeah. You're living in fight or flight like the entire time that you're going through treatment and your mind and your emotions are shut down because your body's just taking over, trying to fight for itself. There's like a lot of struggle that happens there. So really grounding myself was like, was really hard, but it took time. And once I did that, I felt like I was able to ease myself through like processing. A quick pause to talk about one of today's sponsors, Pipette. Pipette is a clean baby and mom care brand with a mission to give every family the best start. Any parent wants what's best for their children, and that includes using only the safest products on their delicate skin. Pipette has quickly become a customer favorite for its ultra gentle baby lotions, oils, and washes. And right now you can score 30% off its entire collection of personal care items. Find out at the end of this ad on how. Pipette sets the standard of clean and best performing products. While the FDA bans only 12 potential harmful ingredients in skincare products, Pipette bans more than 2,000. Ensuring its products are safe, effective, and only use non-toxic ingredients available. 
Pepet's products are also EWG verified, vegan, hypoallergenic, sustainable, pediatrician, and dermatologist approved. All of Pepet's products are made with a key ingredient, squalane. When babies are born, their skin is coated with a creamy substance called the vernix, which provides a powerful natural protection for newborns in the first few hours after birth. The vernix is a rich with ultra hydrating molecule squalane, and it has a nourishing waterproofing effect on the baby's skin. That squalane is your baby's built-in moisturizer and is key to keeping skin safe. But after the protective vernix absorbs, your baby's skin needs a little extra love and care. And that's where squalane comes in. We've been using this on our daughter already and I have loved the results. They get dry skin so easily and they can have such sensitive skin as well. We've already gone through that, trying different products and and finding that she would break out in little rashes. So Papette, once we implemented them, you know what I loved? That I didn't notice anything except for her perfect little face and skin. That meant the world to me as a parent. So I would love for you to try out Papette. You can visit pipettebaby.com. That's P-I-P-E-T-T-E-B-A-B-Y.com. And you're going to get 30% off with code papaya. That's pipettebaby.com. 30% off with code papaya. Now let's get back to the show. I think a lot of times we, we talk about grief and grief always feels so final. Grief feels Mm -hmm. like you're moving from something that will never be again. And I've really had to use grief in a totally different way as more of a processing tool, whether it's Mm -hmm. through life change, whether it's through body change, whether it's through a diagnosis, I I can understand where grief has its value and it's not in just loss. Sometimes it's just in change. But I had a friend once who was diagnosed with cancer and he said that he always regretted telling people that he had cancer because he not only had to grieve through it himself, he had to watch others grieve with him. Mm-hmm. And did you find at such a young age going through that, even though there was like this, this fight within you and everything has changed in your world and your life. And like you said, you weren't held hostage by time. However, there's all your surrounding people who now mm-hmm. have to balance this idea of you are now changing. You now have uncertainty. Did you have, mm-hmm. did you really struggle watching not only going through it yourself, but watching others mm-hmm. go through your diagnosis? And what did that feel like? It's interestingly enough, when I was diagnosed, I in, initially, I remember the moment when I got the call from the doctor who did my biopsy. He already, had already told me a week before when he saw it, he's like, I'm sorry, but this looks like cancer. It, well, it walk, walks, talks, looks, yeah. and, and pretty much like 99% sure this is cancer, but I'm going to call you in a week when I get the biopsy results. So I was waiting for that call. And when I got the call, I remember just sitting with myself on my bed and just thinking, okay, what's the next step? And the funny thing is that I think a lot of cancer patients, I don't know about a lot, but I've heard that some cancer patients do this. I went through my calendar and I canceled everything. <laughs> Including my gym ship, my gym. Oh my what a reaction. We're just going to have to clear this. Sorry, guys. I was like, well, just I need to get rid of all these things. Oh I don't my goodness. feel doing any of this. Uh, so that was my first reaction. I don't know why, but I just felt like I needed to get things off my plate. And yeah. then after that, I thought, I'm like, okay, I need to set some boundaries because I know 
that was the big thing for me was if I'm going to be going forward with this, I need to set some boundaries. And like, I love my family and I love my friends. Everyone's so supportive. I'm the youngest of five kids. Oh, wow. So in my family and I'm a twin and we're a very tight knit family, very supportive. And I'm so lucky. I have such an amazing support system through all of this. But when I wanted, when I was going to tell my family, I, I, I told them, and I think this was really important for me was saying that everyone is everyone's entitled to their feelings. Everyone's entitled to mm-hmm. their opinions. But I just ask that don't put those on me when like I, whatever, I, I don't know what my treatment options are and I just don't want to be influenced. I want whatever I want mm-hmm. to be number mm-hmm. one and everyone to support whatever that is. And that, that to me was very important was just setting those boundaries. And because I think a lot of the time when you're scared for somebody, you might, and they're, they might be, I might not be in like my rights, not in my right state of mind, but I might be, you know, more vulnerable, but you might try to, you know, steer them into doing something that they might not necessarily want to do because you're yeah. out of fear of losing them. Or so that was a really big thing for me. But it, the, I think the hard thing was seeing the look on your loved one's faces yeah. when you do tell them that's hard, but it also in a way actually helped me process that it was happening. So wow. in a weird way, it was therapeutic for me too, because it, it was giving me the space to like, to lean on the people in my life. So in a sense, it is hard to tell people, but if you tell the, when you're telling the right people, it's, and you're giving them the space to support you, I think it's valuable. And as long as they're supporting you in the way that you need them to support you and your voice, why, how you need that. That's exactly what I was going to say. Boundaries. Whenever I hear that word, it's still triggers a negative response. And I have to completely rewire my thinking around boundaries because I struggle with them. I struggle setting them. Mm -hmm. I struggle enforcing them. I just don't have boundaries and then I don't have needs met. And what I've recognized is as I've been going through these boundary conversations and whatever, I've realized that it's a way of just telling somebody how best to love you. It's not about building walls for people are being like, don't do this and don't do that. That's when we say boundaries. I think that's what we automatically Mm -hmm. go to. And the more it happens, the more I'm like, this is how we love each other. I have a girlfriend Mm -hmm. actually that the two of us, we are really close friends and we also have work stuff together. And there was a work thing that came up and I, she's in Vancouver. So I had texted her first thing in the morning. I'm like, there's an error on this. We have to get it fixed. Let me, that we didn't know about. And so sorry. It just came in my email right now but ASAP basically. (laughs) And so (laughs) she replied to me and she was like, hi, good morning. Love you. Just like a thing for me. Could you email me work stuff? Because when I wake up and I read my texts expecting like a note from my friend and then it's a work thing, it immediately pulls into me to panic. And I was like, Mm -hmm. first of all, good boundaries. Thank Mm -hmm. you for making that boundary. Thank you for creating Mm -hmm. that. Thank you for showing me how to be a better friend. And if I didn't have that mindset, I'd be like, whoa, like that was like rude, but it wasn't. It was actually a way of asking for better support so that she has a better morning. And now I'm like, this is so much easier. Now I just email you. (laughs) Like, I know you're going to read it when it's like, when you've checked into your work time, it isn't emergency enough that it needed to be in a text. And I've done the same thing ever since she said that I've actually set the same boundaries with my, anybody that I've worked with or anything like that, that has my phone number. I'm like, let's put it in Slack or let's put it in email. 
And then when I'm in the mental space to deal with it, I'll deal with it. And that's just a small example of, yeah, like how what happened with my friend when he got cancer is I don't think he set those boundaries so that he was just managing everybody else's emotions Mm -hmm. while managing his own. And he Mm -hmm. said that he regretted it because everybody treated him differently for the rest of his life. And that was essentially it. He just wanted to be treated. He just didn't want to have to remember his cancer all the time. And he was Mm -hmm. reminded of his cancer all the time. And you're two years into this. I'm going to segue Mm -hmm. right now. Where are, you mentioned it, but where are things at now? Because last article I read about you and last I saw was the biggest update on in the world, if you were to Google your name, is that you were in remission last fall. So where are things? So what happened was I went through, I was diagnosed in um, June of 2019. And I went through basically... I think I had mentioned I, I went through treatment, which started in August because I actually had a small window where I was allowed to freeze my eggs. I was given this tiny window. It was actually that in itself is a conversation we can have of what, what, how that went down. But so I started treatment in August and then, which was actually a combination of chemotherapy and radiation. Mm-hmm. So I did uh, four rounds of chemotherapy, which was like a weekly thing, along with 25 rounds of external beam radiation. Okay. And then I had to do surgical radiation after that, which was four rounds where they put you under and do internal blasts inside of your uterus. Yeah. That's, oh, we can get into that conversation. I didn't even know that was a thing. It's like a whole The word blast and my cervix feels really uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) I was, they put me under, I was all medicated. But then I will but then they woke me up. Like they put me under to put the rods in and then mm-hmm. when they wake you up. Oh, oh we, but that's a whole conversation. We oh, talk wow. Yeah. But that, so I, after treatment, after that treatment, I was given a small break and then I started chemo again in December into uh, January of 2020. And then after that, basically we had to wait to see how, let things settle down. And I was finally told in May that my scans were clean and there wasn't any sign of cancer, which was really, it was funny because it was during the that whole time between January and May was when the, I guess, well, sorry, January to about February, I was, I was really just excited to have finally gotten through treatment. Me and my sister, we actually went to Mexico for a week just to celebrate the fact that I was through my treatment at the end of February, just before the pandemic. Hit. Yeah, I was going to say. So like we got back days before wow. everything shut down. So I was like, oh, in a sense, I was like, oh, I'm glad I finally, I was actually able to travel because I wasn't able to go anywhere all the last year Yeah, because I was sick. And, but then within that time of the pandemic, it was a lot of people were really, I think having a hard time with quarantine, but I felt like my life had already been a bit of quarantine yeah. for that. So that time actually I found really it was a gift for me because it forced me to hunker down and actually start processing things mm-hmm. that I got the trauma of all the treatment and start working through my feelings. I was writing. And so I took that time as a gift, those couple of months and I started baking bread too. <laughs> oh, didn't things. everyone except for me. I was just like, can someone deliver the bread and make it gluten-free? Cause I can't have that. So yeah, jealous. <laughs> oh no. But then I was, yeah. So in May was when I was officially told I was in remission. And I actually look back at that. There's a photo that I took that day. And it's like a photo that I feel like to me, it symbolizes surviving. Mm. It's like me surviving. And a part of me feels a little sad about it. I think because I'm working through some feelings of where I'm at in my journey at this moment, but I'm also really proud of it because it was a really, it was a happy moment. And so 
officially, I guess I was only in remission for about four months. We didn't know that because I, by August, I had an MRI, which was clean. It was clean. And, um, but then I started feeling some symptoms, I guess, digestive symptoms. And like, I was having issues with eating certain things. My stomach was hurting, going to the washroom. Cause like, but the thing is a lot of that stuff can happen after radiation. For sure. Yeah. Long-term side effects from radiation. And, but the thing with the type of cancer that I have is that it can pop up in other parts of the body. So when it comes back, it can, it doesn't necessarily come back in that set in the same place. So it can pop up in other parts of your body. And it has is a this tendency called something to- static? Because I've heard of that with breast cancer, like metastatic. Metastatic is when you're metastatic is when you're, it's like a spread. So it's like terminal. So that's the term that they use for, I guess, technically, I think terminal, but, or or when it's spread to Mm -hmm. other parts of the body. But so that's the, it has a tendency of doing that. But the thing is, it's really hard. It'd be really hard to tell where, when that happens, because there can be different symptoms associated with it. I started feeling some symptoms. And I remember it was in October because it was around my birthday. And I was like, oh my, just like my, I start feeling, I was feeling off. And so I mentioned it to my oncologist and he said, we can do like a, we can do a test. Just like I was going to come in for basically like my test because he does a physical. Mm -hmm. And he said, everything looked fine in my cervix, but the thing is my symptoms were getting worse. Like in November and December, like I hit a point where I was like in pain. I was having back pain, hip pain, and I was having issues going to the washroom. I like, I was having like issues with food. I couldn't keep food down. I was losing a bunch of weight. Like I lost probably, I want to say by December, I'd lost like probably 20, 30 pounds. Wow. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, that's and I significant. Could, like, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, couldn't go to the washroom. And I remember it was at one point I was like, enough is enough. And I, I went back to the freaking emergency room, same emergency room. <laughs> and I was like, somebody tell, prove to me that I'm just constipated. This yeah. Is just, yeah. What is I'm this? just full of poop. Just prove to yeah. me, give me a some tea. And the doctor actually, interestingly enough, like this is a prime example. He was hasty with me at first. He was like, oh, you just, you said you just saw your oncologist on Monday. Cause this was boxing day that I went in. Oh, and wow. I just saw him on Monday. Cause I, I was feeling, I remember that night, Christmas day evening, could not sleep that whole night. I had the worst sleep. And I was like, and I didn't even, when it came to Christmas dinner or all that, I was just like not feeling well, didn't yeah. really eat much. And I was like, this is horrible. Like I just wasn't myself. And I'm like, I was like, wow, this can't just be, you know, symptoms from my radiation mm-hmm. or long-term symptoms. If this is going to be my life, I lot. can't do this. Yeah. So yeah, when he, I saw him, he said, he's like, I actually looked at your, your MRI from August. He's there's no way she's, this is, there's no way she's fine. He's like, but I'll give you the, I'll do a CT because you're asking for it. And, and because of your history. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And then when he saw me after he was like, I'm so sorry for being wow. so hasty. And, and then he went through the CT with me and he was like, I'm, I'm so sorry, but he's based on your CT. Like you have multiple masses. Like you have one on your central pelvis, one on your right pelvis, one on your uterus, one pushing on your sigmin colon. And then your lymph nodes are all swollen within your abdomen. So they're all like, and then there's one, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, chemo brain, but it's one that it's a lymph node that comes down from your heart. So he's like, that one's quite large. So he's like, I'm sending this report, rushing it back to your oncologist, but you're going to, and then I, I remember just bursting out in tears because I was, it was so interesting because he brought me back into the exact same room where I first found out I had cervical cancer. Wow. So it was very ironic 
going back there. But then I even said to him, I was like, it's okay. He's, I'm just so sorry. He's like, for being so hasty with you. Mm-hmm. It's like, and he's like, this is, this is a learning lesson. This is a teaching moment. <laughs> You're so sweet. I was like, you know, like, I'm like, I want you to learn from this. Yeah. You know? like, at the end of the day, I'm like, this, this, it sucks, but you never know. I'm like, you never would have thought. I'm like, I probably look like the healthiest person in that yeah. emergency room right now, but I'm probably the sickest. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I'm like, this is where you can't dismiss people's based on past resu- yeah. results. Cause you, yeah. especially with cancer, you never know. And I was just so baffled and just angry at that moment because I was, I think with myself, but also with that it coming, cause it came back so fast within two months, it's just everywhere. I was just like, I couldn't wrap my head around it, but I was, I think a part of me was just the heart. I think the big thing was, I wasn't angry. Anger is a secondary emotion. It was, I was heartbroken Mm. that I had gotten excited, I think, in that moment about life again, because I Mm -hmm. just finally started planning my life again, setting goals. I think as, as a cancer patient or anybody that's dealing with a really serious illness, it's hard to plan your life again, to really get the courage to start planning your life again because you would get so afraid of just breaking your own heart yeah. by having it all ripped away again. But it took me a little time. Like I think it was like a month, a couple of weeks at least of me just having to work through those emotions and then being like, I'm not going to let this control my life. I can't let this control my life and we'll start working through that. So unfortunately, like at that point, I when I did see my doctor, it was in on January 4th, she told me that technically stage four metastatic now. And and I'm not really playing into the prognosis that they had mm-hmm. given me, but they had said at that point, you're lucky, you'll be lucky if you're here in a year. And I was like, for me, it was like, whoa, hearing that, that number doesn't really mean anything because mm-hmm. that they can give you a number and it can change if you're depending on what your treatment how your treatment goes. And at this point I'm looking at, I'm doing chemotherapy. I just had my fourth round a week ago. Yeah. When we talked, Um, I was like, let's be tentative here because I wanted to make sure you're feeling great today, which I'm so grateful for, but I know it can be so up and down. I feel good. Like it's funny because I, the first round was really hard on me and then Mm -hmm. every round's been a little easier in a way, but the steroids are what kind of can put you off a bit. They gotcha. make me like tired, but I feel mm. I'm like today, I'm like, I feel, I was like, oh, I'm excited. I oh, did my makeup. I'm so glad. I, like, I, I got up <laughs> I know and I'm you like, look so cute. my step. <laughs> but yeah, so at this point, we're looking at other treatment options mm-hmm. as well because the chemo itself is keeping me stable, yeah. like keeping the cancer stable. Like there's, I, I've had some shrinkage, some growth, but I'm hoping to see if there's like another option, like maybe a medical trial. Cause at this point you can't, with uh, glandular cancer, you can't just cut it out. Right. Like you would be taking parts of the body out. And because I've had radiation, and I think actually a lot of people don't know this, but I've had maximum amount of radiation. So when you've had maximum amount of radiation, you can't do radiation ever again. What? Like on a body part, when they oh. do radiation, you can't do it again. If Like they did 25 rounds, like on my abdomen. So if it came back and, and comes back in your abdomen, you can't do it again because the tissues are so fried. Oh, so I you see. Can't do, yeah. So that's something that I that never is, knew. Yeah. I never knew that either. So the thing is like, I knew coming out of this, if my cancer came back, radiation would be out of the picture, but radiation is the thing that actually kills cancer. Chemo can slow it down and shrink it, but radiation is usually the way that you go to kill it. And surgery is, you can do all with glandular. It just, 
it's, you can't really. And at this point for me, they wouldn't even want to do surgery because it's, you wouldn't get clear margins and right. your lymph node, you need to live. So you can't just cut those out. <laughs> you de- Yeah. A little bit, right? Yeah. I don't know about you, but my days have gotten so jumbled and so complicated. And sometimes I just need really easy ways to get my nutrition in, especially my protein. Today's sponsor, Vega, does exactly that. You can easily add protein and nutrition into your daily routine with Vega, the number one plant-based protein powder brand. Vega products provide convenience without compromise, so you can move through your day with the plant-based nutrition your body needs on the go. Everything made at Vega is vegan certified, non-GMO project verified, gluten-free, and free of artificial flavors and preservatives. If you're looking to upgrade your daily nutrition, maybe by upgrading your daily smoothie or level up your afternoon snack, Vega has you covered from protein powders to bars made with real plant-based ingredients. You can learn more about it at myvega.ca slash nutrition, or for our American listeners, visit myvega.com slash nutrition. Maybe you're looking for immune support. If you're looking for delicious options with nutrients to help support your immune system, Vega has you covered with Vega One and Vega Proteins and Greens. Delicious protein powders packed with vitamins and minerals made with real plant-based ingredients as always. There's Vega One. You can power your story with Vega One for plant-based nutrition with fiber and vitamins A, C, and D. Protein and Greens. With real plant-based ingredients, it's more than just a protein shake. Try Vega Protein and Greens with 20 grams of protein per scoop. Learn more at myvega.ca slash immunity. Or again, for our American listeners, visit myvega.com slash immunity. Finally, maybe you're looking to level up your training. The Vega Sport line is made with real plant-based ingredients like always and offers products for pre, mid, and post-workout. Power your story with Vega Sport protein made with 30 grams of plant-based protein to help you build muscle. Learn more at myvega.ca slash sport or for our American listeners, one last time, that's myvega.com slash sport. Now let's get back to the show. I could talk to you all day because I just find mm-hmm. you've got such a beautiful perspective on life. And I think you're just so compassionate even towards like things that I am feeling anger for you in certain ways, <laughs> but, but you have such a compassionate and beautiful approach to a lot of this. And I want to end this kind of really talking about the work you've done and this legacy that you're essentially, no matter how long your life is, this gets to live on is your words and in your work and that kind of beauty that you've done. And so you have this book coming out. We are going to obviously give information about how people can pre-order because it's not coming out till May, but it's the light within my light. Talk to me about this book. It is, I've gotten to have a little preview of it. It is one of the most gorgeous, not only just in aesthetics, it is beautifully put together and written. And I think it is just, it is really, truly incredible work. So how did this come to be? Did you know that this was something you wanted to do? Or is it through this process that this became a thing for you? How Just walk me through this book and where it sits with you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad that you love the book and the, I love the experience it. that's been created through this book. I'm just, I'm so proud of how it's come to life. I'm really 
just fortunate with the team that I had, my publishing agency that's helped me just through the process of even just the, how this launch has been going. With me being sick, it's been, it's put a wrench in things, but I'm just really happy. It's actually been really smooth. And also my book designer who helped me like just bring my vision to life. She was really great. Mm-hmm. And my friend who's did the, who did the photography, the art for the book, Liz Rosa, she is so talented. She's, and just kept bringing putting even the the light within throughout the book, the sparkle, the vision that I had. She really did all of that. And and I'm just so proud of how it looks aesthetically. Yeah, and it's gorgeous. It my words to life. So writing itself, poetry is something I, I honestly didn't even realize I was writing poetry. In the past, I, I've always just written my feelings down. So whenever I'm going through any heightened emotion, I find like for me to process, I don't like to go I don't want to go put it out on anybody. So I find like whenever I'm working through something, I like to just write things down or in this entire book, I wrote in my notes in my iPhone. Like I write whenever I'm writing, yeah. I write in, in my iPhone. And I find basically like whenever I'm trying to process something, I, I, I write it down and it really helps me just work. It's very therapeutic and healing for me. And I started noticing, wow, this is actually turning into something. There's, And I realized when I was writing poetry and I, I started, it was funny actually at the end of 2018, I went to a, a book signing for Atticus. Oh, and, cool. And who is really, I love his writing. And I find like my writing is short form poetry, very similar to in style to his and Rupi Kaur, like where they both do short form poetry. So that's the type of poetry that I've noticed that I provide. And I found when I met him, it, it really encouraged me to start putting my poetry out, like to start sharing it, like it just when I'm from meeting him. And I feel like him and Rupi Kaur are two people that have really inspired me to want to create this, create a book because her, she is like a fellow Indo-Canadian woman here in, in Canada who has really just stood in her vulnerability. Yes. Really. And I feel like I, I, at this point, like when, when you go through something like any big trauma, I feel like I'm just, I don't care what anybody thinks. Like at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm just yeah. going to put myself out there and like, it, it would take me as I am. And if, if you connect with it, connect with my words, I'm just hoping that what I'm putting out there is something that can resonate. But this book itself, I wrote the, you know, I wrote it in three parts. The beginning is more very romantic and yeah, romanticized. And it's really, it's what I wrote when in the beginning of my journey, it was like through a lens where I was like really appreciating life and really seeing, seeing like seeing nature and really connecting with, with nature and connecting with the earth and really trying to connect with like love within myself. And, but then also I was taking, I take you through a journey of like love, loss, and Mm self-reflection in this book, because if you read between the lines, it's really about the relationship between my feminine feminine and masculine energy and i write it in a gender fluid way where it's where you see the there's a, a male voice but there's also a female voice yeah and i think i noticed that it's like it's and that's really it's really about the like for my feminine the my feminine side is really the part of me that wants to be nurtured the part of me that wants to be loved the part of me that needs validation that those parts of me and then i find my my masculine side is the side that needed control that needed to be strong and needed to be, it's like my ego, all of these things. And it really goes through the relationship of like rejection, betrayal, all of that within myself and really finding a way through that and finding a way to 
like grounding myself in self-love through the book and just takes you through that journey and really through the, and also the lessons that I've learned. There's I'm a lot that- in here too. Like it is <laughs> when I'm scrolling down, there's 140, it's, a very it's, it's 140 pages and each page is like filled with different types of poetry. And it, it is remarkable. Do you have a favorite from the book? Oh, that's really hard. <laughs> I bet. It's like asking you to have a favorite child. I yeah, really shouldn't I have asked that at all. It's funny. I find I, it depends on my mood. Like, I feel like it's it's the book where you can go, you can open it. And if you want to go there for something that makes you feel warm or inspired or mm-hmm. a little magical, you can go there. And if you want to feel something to connect to from a, like a, a deeper level, like a, from mm-hmm. a, maybe from, to your grief or to yes. a bit of loss, you can look at and you can find something. And then, or if you want like a little lesson or I don't know, like what I've learned through forgiveness or what I've learned through maybe setting boundaries or whatnot. There's, I feel like there's something in there for everyone. I and agree. I find it really interesting with poetry is you can take what you want from it. Mm-hmm. So you could take whatever experience you want and connect to it. So I, I really want anybody that's reading this to find something that they connect to. And especially with what where we are in the world right now, there's everyone's going through so much grief, so much trauma. And I feel like if this can provide some understanding, comfort, or inspiration, I, it's like a job well done for me. <laughs> yeah. I find it, I find that's what I really love about it as I read through it was just the fact that there are parts that can pull into the romantic in you. And then also the parts that like, yeah, like you said, honor your grief, honor your sadness, like all of these moments Mm -hmm. that kind of can pull you into all of these different facets of who we are, Mm -hmm. but it ends on a note of not, it's not a spoiler, but it really drives home at the end this like kind of what the title is, the light within my light. It's this, the beauty of who we are, the beauty of life, the beauty of the uncertainty and kind of the uncaging of all the things that maybe live within us that never really got a chance to get out. And I feel like you're living that. You're a shining example of that. You're sitting here and talking about how long you potentially have left, the uncertainties and everything. And yet your lens on life remains not without grief, not without kind of those moments, but just as such a, just such a beautiful lens on everything. And I think it's really lent itself into your work. And I think it's going to really connect with a lot of people, whether I'm the kind of person that when I'm having a sad day, like I love to watch a sad movie or I love to like Mm -hmm. listen to sad breakup songs, which is like, I'm married, obviously I'm not like dumping him anytime soon, but I just get, I go there. I love to just Mm -hmm. find a way to release that emotion. And I found within going through it, it did connect with different parts of me. Even if I wasn't feeling it in that moment, it gave me an opportunity to look at that emotion or feel that feeling for a moment. And I think that it's just all about validation and the beauty of life. And I think you did an incredible job. So very excited for you. I'm very excited for this book. Hopefully everyone listening gets an opportunity to check it out. I'm going to just have you tell us where to find you because that's how you're going to be able to find the book as well. Yeah, it will be available for pre-order when this episode is out. So you can actually find uh, my book at minjaswell.com. You can also follow through on my Instagram. There's a, there'll be a link there to hopefully get a copy if you're interested. Hope everyone does. It's It really is a beautiful book. I'm so proud of you. We just met. <laughs> I'm so proud. I'm like, I'm so proud of this book for you. <laughs> Thank beautiful. You so much. I'm just 
it's such it's such a labor of love and I'm mm-hmm. just it's like my baby and I'm just so excited to just finally share it with the world and and just to, I I hope that just to see what, how people connect with it and in whatever way that they whatever way that they do. Oh, I'm excited. I can already see the the photos now where people that's what I always do and there's poetry that I love. I take a picture of it and throw it in my stories or put it in my feed. I'm excited <laughs> to I'm excited to one day scroll through social media and start seeing your words show up in people's feeds because I I really believe that of this. So thank you so (laughs) much. No, honestly, I really like, it's really good work. And also I love that you simplified it in the fact that like you're a poet from your iPhone notes. Like I'm somebody who does the same thing. I have 720 notes in my phone right now. It's all full of just feelings and emotions. And I think we often minimize that. We'd be like, oh, I just make notes in my phone. No, you're a magnificent writer. And it came out of your phone. It's pretty amazing. Nobody ever really told me I I was a good writer. So Mm. it's funny because like you have to, you really have to start, like just believe in yourself and yeah. like, hey, and and I think if, if anything that you want to do in life, nobody needs to tell you what it what that is. If you're saying I'm a writer, you're a writer. You're a writer. If yeah. I'm a I'm an artist. I, I'm an artist or I'm a painter. You just have to tell yourself that and believe in yourself if you see that value in what you're mm-hmm. doing. And I think it's so important. I think just as people and just not to doubt ourselves. Self-validate. <laughs> I called myself a writer a long time ago. <laughs> I've never like, but it did, it did take me that that a little bit of time to get people, almost other people to validate it as well. And to have those feelings of validity, but yeah, same thing with runners. People all the time are like, well, I'm not an athlete or I'm not this, or I'm not that. But like, who said like you're doing all the things and it's not about, it's not about winning the race. It's about the fact that you went, you're still showing up every day and doing Mm -hmm. the work. And I think that what's so beautiful. I'm, we've like double timed here. It's been such an honor to the fertility stuff. I know. No, it's okay. You know what? People can go and find you and they can dive into who you are. We're going to have your Instagram handle in the show notes as well as your website and how to pre-order the book. But just thank you. As you said at the beginning of this, thank you so much for sharing this space with me today. Thank you so much for opening your story up. I just, I I get chills thinking about the fact that we get to take life lessons from you, someone so young going through so much. And at the same time, we also get an opportunity to hear from a life perspective that we don't have right now. And Mm -hmm. if we could even take a little bit of the lens of life that you're living right now and apply it to us, maybe that little stuff won't matter so much anymore. And we can just focus on living and being free from that. So thank you. Thank you for everything. I think for everyone, it's just about just know that you're doing your best every day. Mm. You're doing your best. Even if it doesn't feel like it's, you're not doing enough. Yeah. You're doing like, even I think it was yesterday. I didn't do any of the things that I wanted to do. I was just, I was so exhausted that I was like, I am doing enough. Resting is enough. Mm -hmm. It just comes down to that. Sorry. I'm I think you're trying to end the show. That's okay. (laughs) I'm the same way. I would go forever. This is why I'm like, I'm a dangerous person to have a podcast because I will just keep going. But I just- part two. Yeah. (laughs) Never know. Never say never. Thank you so much. And honestly, for everyone listening, like I said, we're going to add everything into the show notes. Please go check out her work. Go pre-order this book. You will not regret it. Not a little bit. Thank you so much, Amin. Thank you. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at The Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.